I welcome all of you who are online. Thanks for joining us today, and all of you who are in the house today. Man, what a great time of worship, and especially, as it's been said, in a time of chaos, uh, we have this rock that we can hang on to, so we encourage you to continue to pray for Israel, continue to pray for the things that are happening, not just over there somewhere, but in our own country, our own leaders, as Justin said. Uh, appreciate you doing that. Next week, uh, we have, speaking of leaders, we have the Leaders of Missions of Hope International, uh, which was founded in Nairobi, Kenya. It's where we take teams of people, and we got another team going in June. And um, it's, it's an amazing ministry that began right in the, the poorest of the poorest places in the slums and now has an impact on thousands and thousands of kids. And uh, those leaders are going to be with us next weekend, so you're not going to want to miss that. Plus, we're also going to have an opportunity to sponsor a child there in those slums. And the people on our team, we get to go meet the people that we sponsor. It's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of great opportunities to sponsor kids in different places, a lot of good ministries. But one of the things that sets this apart for me is that we, we have had a relationship with those kids that we sponsor when we get to see them every now and then. And uh, that's something really, really unique and uh, special. So I'm gonna encourage you next week, be praying about this, that maybe you could be sponsoring a kid too. And maybe it's a trip that you would wanna take sometime, if not this next year, at some point where you can go and, and uh, have a, have a, have a difference made, not just for them, but, but in you. And that's what happens when you go there, right? Um, let's, let's do this. Let me ask you this question. How do you know when you've arrived? Yeah, how do you know when you've arrived? It's a rhetorical question. Be quiet. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> How do you know when you've arrived? So, so some of us would say, well, it's, you know, when we buy that first home, you know, when I get that job, or maybe when I get, become CEO, or maybe when I have my own business, maybe it's like when I get married, or maybe when we start a family, like those, those kind of landmark, benchmark, whatever you want to call it, moments in our life are big, and we're like, now I've arrived. Now, sometimes what we do with those things is we say, you know, I buy that home, or I get that car, or we get that RV, or we get that boat, or we get whatever it is. It's like it's some, there's some thing that we're going to be able to purchase, and that's going to somehow validate that we've arrived because we have that thing that we knew that we had to have. But let me ask you this. If you've experienced that, that chase for arrival, if you've experienced that once I get here, once I have that, You've been, you've been searching for that moment, just honest of all honesty here. When you get it, do you feel done? No. Because you find, like maybe for you, having arrived is driving off the lot in a brand new car, and you did it. And then you realize that car is worth 8,000 less now, like now. You just drove now. It's eight. It's like it doesn't feel so good all of a sudden, right? Something happens in us when we're, when we're trying to achieve and we get there, but we realize the thing that we got is not the thing that we thought it was going to be. Now, in our culture, there's, um, there's a lot written about this kind of stuff. 
And in not necessarily pointing out the fallacy of some of the things that we pursue, but literally saying, if you want to pursue these things, here's what you do. In fact, Stephen Covey, favorite, um, famous author who said this in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he says, you have to start with the end in mind. You got, you got to know what that looks like so that you know when you get there and so that you know that the things you're doing help get you there, right? You got to start with the end in mind. And so we have a whole culture of people today who are trying to figure that out. And so one of the things that we do is we create a vision board. Yep. So what you want, and this is 2023 vision board. Somebody said, you know, I want to spend more time with family and friends. I want to go to Disneyland. I want my skin to be nice. I want to work out. You know, these are the things that are going to make me feel like 2023 was worth it all. And so we have all kinds of these boards, right? Some of these boards are going to have like traveling, and there's Disneyland again. Uh, it's like traveling and, and cars. This person wants to meet Oprah. That's part of their like, I know that I will have arrived if I meet Oprah, right? So there's all these kinds of different things going on. It's a lot of these are going to have like nice cars and nice homes and nice vacation spots. These are the things that we say, when I get these things, I will have have arrived. But if you played that game, you know, when we get a lot of things on the board, we still feel like something's missing. What's interesting when we get to Philippians chapter 3 is Paul, in a sense, gives us a picture of a religious vision board. Now, the reason this is a little different is because while these things uh, aren't necessarily good or bad in and of themselves, they're just stuff, you know, our, our attempt to connect with God, we, we feel like there's certain things that have to be in place. And when I get there, then I will have arrived. I will be acceptable to God. That's kind of how we feel. But that's not how the Bible explains it for us. But Paul is, is fighting this kinds of thinking. And so in Philippians chapter 3, the first couple of verses, he's actually saying there are people who are telling you if you're going to be a Christian, and he's talking to largely people in Philippi in a Roman area. He's talking to people who didn't grow up Jewish. He's talking to people who are Romans or Greeks. He's saying there are people who are going to tell you in order for you to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised. And then there's aspects of the law. You have to keep, you can't arrive in the presence of God. You can't be worthy of God's love until you do certain things. And so he gives them the list. And he says, if anybody ever had a right to say, hey, I arrived based on my own effort, it was me. And he, a, lot, a lot of times when he gives these kind of lists, he says, I, I sound like an idiot saying it, but I'm going to say it anyway. And so then he walks us into this. Listen to this. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, being right with God, as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He said, man, if, if anybody ever earned it, it was me. If anybody ever arrived spiritually, it was me. In fact, I'm going to go back up. I'm going to just walk you through this. He says, 
I was circumcised when I was eight days old. So, you know, you want to talk about like rituals, you know, like he's like, I got the rituals down. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. He goes, I'm, I'm even born in the right race. You know, like God's chosen people. I'm, I'm one of them. I was a member of the Pharisees talking about his religion. In fact, he had reached the top of the religion rung. Like he's, he's gotten there. Who's demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. So now he's talking about like the, the law, the religion, all that kind of stuff. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So he, he's persecuting the church. He's By the way, that was his reputation. Even after he becomes a Christian, there's people who are like, wait a minute, isn't this the guy that used to put people in jail and kill people because they were Christians? His reputation was something he had built based on this idea, what he was trying to pursue. I obeyed the law without fault. It was all about keeping the rules. So if you had a vision board for this, for Paul, it would look like this. Rituals, religion, race, rules, reputation. These are the things that he said. If anybody says, this is what you have to do, he says, I've done it. And I know how empty it is. I've done this. And I know that's not what God is calling us to do. I've earned it. I've tried. I pursued it. And I arrived. And I got there. And I thought everything was fine until I met Jesus. And that's when everything changed. That's when everything changed. So we read on. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them, what's that word? Worthless because of what Christ has done. What Christ has done, I'm going to put that into one word, gospel. The Bible uses this word, gospel, and the gospel means good news. The good news is that Jesus has already done all the work. So we don't have a vision board of a strategy. How do I get to the point where God will accept me, love me, welcome me into the family? No, he did all the work. It's not me. It's not you. It's not our effort. That's not, that's not how we get right with him. He goes on. He says, yes, everything else is worthless. Compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, just, just remember this phrase right here. Knowing Christ Jesus, this is the key. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as, what's that word? Garbage. By the way, this is a real nice translation. This could literally be translated, a big pile of manure. He says, everything else that I tried, even, even though I thought that's what was going to help me arrive in the presence of God. You know, you know that, that, that picture we always have, like Peter standing at the pearly gates, and God's there is like, oh, why should I let you know I have And we go, well, I, I followed the rituals, I followed the rules, I had the right religion. We go through the list, like, I've, I've tried to be a good person. He's like, it's garbage. Our effort does not accomplish any of that. It's garbage, so that... I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself, that is righteousness, right with himself, 
depends on faith. Then he says this, I want to know Christ. Everybody say that out loud with me. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Wow. <laughs> he paints the picture. This is, this is the effort. I mean, it's like, I did what everybody else thinks you have to do, and then I realized it's all worthless. It's all garbage compared to just knowing Jesus. Because he's the answer to the question. He's the answer to the problem, just knowing Jesus. In fact, this is how he says it right there in verse 10. I want to know Christ. Say it with me one more time. I want to know Christ. Now this time I want you to say if you really mean it. Go. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. A couple weeks ago in our Rudy group, somebody uh, asked the question, well, how do I get to know Jesus? And we, we talked about it some there, but I have not gotten away from that question. And then I get to Philippians chapter three, and Paul says, I want to know Christ. And I'm like, yeah, I want to, and I think you want to. So how do we do that? Like, how do we get there? Well, first of all, we got to get a different vision board, <laughs> not cluttered, not with everything else that we think is somehow going to make us feel like we've arrived, anything like that. Our new vision board looks like this. Everything else, he says, just doesn't matter. We, we need to know Jesus. Then everything else is going to have the right perspective, and there's things that they're not good or bad, but we, we need to have this down. We need to know Christ. And so how do, you, how do you get to know someone, right? So I've been thinking a lot about this. And I think it really breaks down to two things. The first thing will be obvious to you, even though we're going to spend some time with it anyway, and that is time. Like, how do you get to know somebody? You spend time with them. And there's communication, and then there's hanging out, and there's all that kind of stuff that needs to go into that, right? How do you get to know someone? Oh, 36 years ago this month, I met a young lady named Michelle. She was living in Mission Viejo. Her pastor, Mac, and his wife, Carolyn, introduced us. In fact, what was funny about it was he told me it was on a Sunday night. And he played golf and really, okay, I'm going to meet somebody, but I really want to play golf with Mac. So I leave Sunday afternoon. I go over there. I sit in their parking lot. In, in the parking lot. They didn't have that big of a house. It was a driveway. And uh, I'm sitting there. And this is pre-cell phones, right? So I'm sitting there for like an hour and nobody's there. Finally, Carolyn comes driving in and she sees my car and she goes, oh no, did Mac tell you that was tonight? I'm like, yes. He goes, no, it's tomorrow night. You're going to meet her tomorrow night. I said, well, that's a problem because I have a date tomorrow night. And she said to me, cancel it. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> Played golf with Mac on Monday, and then Monday night, there's some people over at the house. It wasn't like a blind date thing. It was just like, hey, you're going to meet this girl. And so we, we got to meet. Mac and Carolyn introduced us. Within just a couple of weeks, we started dating. And uh, I'm going to just explain to you what our dates looked like. Okay, so to help some of you who are younger, you don't know this. Back in the day, we had phones in our house <laughs> attached to the wall. 
And to call somebody out of town was expensive, right? And so maybe you would call them like, hey, I got three things to tell you. Bye, boom. You got to do it under a minute. It's like, otherwise, you know, it's, it's romantic to rack up an $800 phone bill, but it's not very practical. And Michelle and I are both are a little stingy that way. We're not going to do that. So how did we get to know each other? We spent a lot of time together. I happen to be in a master's program at Pacific Christian College. It's now called Hope International University in Fullerton. And so I would go over there on Tuesday. So what I started doing is I'd go over on Monday, and I would take Michelle out. We would have a date. We would go and eat. Like our very first date, we played tennis together, which sounds bizarre to some of you, but the word love is in tennis. So so we played tennis, (laughs) and we went out to eat, and then we walked on the beach. We spent like eight hours together on our first date. And then I stayed with my friends that lived there, Mac and Carolyn, and then I went and did my schooling and I came home. After, after a few dates of this, of spending six to eight hours together each time, you're like, well, what are you doing? We're talking. I'm way too practical. It's like, I am not going to drive 80 miles one way to go spend some time with a girl. I have no intention of truly being with the rest of my life. And so in those first three dates, we got it all out there. Like we talked about life, our, our past, uh, our hang-ups. We talked about our future and our dreams and what we wanted God to do with our life. We, we talked about everything. How did we get that to time? We spent time with each other. We, we weren't just texting for like six months. We were in each other's faces, watching body language, like talking about the heavy, deep stuff. And after about three dates, I figured out she's going to be worth the trip. And I knew it for sure. In fact, I told her, I love you. And she said, thank you. (laughs) Oh, baby. She eventually came around. I won her over. But here's the truth. You can learn facts about Michelle. I'll give you facts that most of you know. If you've been around us enough, you know she loves Dr. Pepper. She loves tennis. She loves me. She loves her grandkids. Like, those are things anybody just on the edge could could know about her. You could know facts about her. But I know what that look means. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like when you know someone, they don't even have to say anything, right? My, my wife has this uncanny ability to, to, to sense distance between us when we're only two feet apart. You know, it's like maybe I'm watching a game, which is, it's possible. You know, I'm watching a game and she's sitting there and she, she for some reason in her soul, she's just like, I just feel like we're not as close. And I'm like... Well, scoot over. You know, I'm, I'm thinking physical because I'm watching the game. It's like, no, she's thinking there's, we're, not, we're not connecting, right? Because she knows me. She knows when I'm distracted. So we, we know each other. Why, why? After 35 years of spending time together, we know each other better now than we did back then when we were in those eight-hour dates. And guess what? In another 10 years from now, and another however long God gives us, we're going to know each other better because we continue to spend time with each other. 
Now, all of that is just like, yeah, 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 I get it. But I can't go out like on an eight-hour date with Jesus. I can't just say, hey, Jesus, grab your mountain bike. Let's head for the hills. Let's hang out. Hey, Jesus, meet me at the coffee shop. I'll be there in just like five minutes. How do you get to know someone you can't see? See, that's the challenge. But I'm going to tell you, the answer is the same. Time. You got to spend time with him. You got to spend time with him. One of the things I want to encourage you to do is I want to encourage you to spend time with him intentionally to get to know him better, not just to get the facts down. Like I said about Michelle, you could say, she likes Dr. Pepper, she likes tennis, whatever. Like those are the, you, there are people that treat Jesus like trivial pursuit. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn the facts and man, if somebody asks me a question, I'm gonna have the answer, right? It's like the kids in Sunday school and the teacher asks the question, okay, what's gray and furry and it jumps from tree to tree, it has a big tail and one of the kids goes, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm gonna say Jesus. You know, it's like you're in Sunday school, the answer is always Jesus. <laughs> We might know things about Jesus, but we don't know him. Jesus, in fact, said this. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There are people that treat Jesus like a science project who want to get to know about him, but to truly know him and to allow him to truly know you that's a whole different thing. There's a book by Kyle Eidelman. I highly recommend this book. It's called Not a Fan. And he says, there are people who are fans of Jesus. And then there are followers. These are not the same. I don't want you to be a fan. I want you to be a follower. Here's how he describes the situation. He says, fans have a tendency to confuse their knowledge with intimacy. They don't recognize the difference between knowing about Jesus and truly knowing him. So how do we get there? We communicate. I know, I know you can't see him, but you communicate and you spend time with him. There's a, a comedian that I have uh, recently started just watching and paying attention to. His name's Nate Bergazzi. I don't know if you've seen him or not, but he's hilarious, for the most part, very clean, and uh, it just, it's, it's just good. But he has this one bit that really caught me off guard. He was talking about the movie uh, Sixth Sense. How many of you remember this movie? Anybody see this movie? Okay, the movie's like 24 years old, so if you haven't seen it, I'm gonna wreck it for you right now. All right? Some of you are like, I was going to see it tonight. No, you weren't. Shut up. All right? <laughs> so, Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis is killed in the very first scene. But he's in the whole movie. And even though you, you saw him get shot and killed in the very first scene, you're thinking, no, he's still alive. He's dead. All right? So, I'm not going to go into the whole plot. He's He's dead. But throughout the entire movie, his wife never talks to him because he's dead, right? <laughs> but what Nate Bergasi says is this. He goes, 
you know, and, and when, when, she, when she drops the ring at the end of the movie, and you're like, oh, he's dead. You're like, that was the very first scene. But we all got swept up in it, and we didn't realize that. She drops the ring, and you're like, oh, he is dead. That's what's going on. It made more sense to us that they just weren't talking for a year then he was actually dead. That's what the comedian says. It made more sense that they weren't talking. It's possible to be in the same space and not communicate. It's possible to be at church every week and not truly communicate. It's possible to go through the motions but not use the time that you have to get to know him. So one of the things that we do at Community, we have a set of commitments that we, we talk about when we're talking about building up our relationship with Christ. And it, it begins with the letter E, E-P-I-C, but the letter E stands for every day with Jesus. This is about spending time with him. And so I'm, I'm not going to give you like the, you know, 200-page volume of how you go about doing this. I'm just going to make it real simple for you. I, I want you to spend part of every day with him, and I want you to do this. You ready? Pray, read, pray. Everybody say, pray, read, pray. Pray, read, pray. And so just like if you were going to sit down with somebody else, you're going to sit down with Jesus. You're like, I can't see him. I know, but he's there. Just trust that he's there and say, Jesus, I want to get to know you better today. So as I read from your word, just show me what you want to show me today. Let's just hang out. You're like, can I, can I talk to him like that? Yes. Right? Just have a conversation. But you pray, read, pray. So you, you say, okay, Jesus, show me who you are. Reveal to me more about you. I want to get to know you. And then if this is all new to you, I would encourage you. The, the Bible is divided into two parts, Old Testament, New Testament. The beginning of the New Testament, there's four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are all about Jesus. You want to get to know Jesus? Spend time right there. And just, just like read a chapter a day. If it's one of those really, really long chapters, read half of it. And just and ask him, God, show me what, what you want me to see about you today. Help me to get to know you better today. And you read a chapter. If, if you have like ADHD, start with Mark. There's only 16 chapters. You can pound this out in just over two weeks, right? So, but here's what I would really encourage you to do. When you finish Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... Do it again and just keep asking him, show me today what you want me to know about you. I want to get to know you and just spend some time. And then after you pray, read, pray, after you read, because you, you're, you're listening to him, it's like a conversation. Now you're going to pray again and just tell him about what's going on. Tell him, like reveal yourself to him. It's not that he doesn't know it, but, but you need to kind of have the conversation too. It's like, I'm, I'm really sweating this, this whole job thing. The company's up in arms. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm getting nervous. Or I'm, I'm really concerned about my kid. You know, the grades are just bad. I don't know how to help them. You know, I'm waiting for this report from the doctor. I'm scared to death. So like, just, just talk to him. So you're going to say, I want to know more about you. Show me in your word. And then you're going to read, and then you're just going to talk to him. Now, I know when Jesus gives us the model prayer, he says, you know, our Father who art in heaven. But he doesn't intend for us to be like, I've got to figure out exactly the right words, like a magic potion, and I've got to have the right tone. Oh, 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 Father. That's not a prayer, by the way. 
You know those moments in church when you're not supposed to laugh, and that's when you want to laugh? That was like my entire life growing up, right? We, we have this big wooden table in front, and on the front it says, do this in remembrance of me. It was the communion table. It sat down here, and there was a wooden throne. I'm not exaggerating, a wooden throne on each side. And it came time for communion. This guy would pray for the bread, and this guy would pray for the juice, and we would have communion together. And then this guy would, let's bow our heads. And we bow our heads, and he'd go, oh, thou most heavenly God of the heavens. And I am dying laughing. It's like, I just saw him in the parking lot. He didn't talk like that. You're not faking God out, by the way. Talk to him. How do, you, how do you think that would go over with Michelle? Like she, she reveals something like, she, I, this, is, this is one of my concerns, and then it's my turn. Oh, Michelle. It's like, <laughs> that's not how I talk. It's like, don't do that, right? Spend time and be real. Spend time, be real. That, that's how you're going to get to know him. In fact, I love these verses out of Psalm 119. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. All of Psalm 119, the whole thing is about what we gain from the word of God. Here's another one, Psalm 119, verse 37. Turn my eyes from social media. I'm sorry, let me, let me read this again. <laughs> Turn my eyes from YouTube. I'm sorry, wait, sorry, sorry. Turn my eyes from television. Wait. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Now, please, please don't be offended, but if the shoe fits, put it on. You ready? We say we want to know Jesus, and we spend 4.3 minutes with him, and then we spend six hours on television or social media. Like, how, how come I know? I want to know Jesus. <laughs> Do you? And I know it's different. I know it's weird. I know you can't see him like that, but you can, and I can spend time with him, but that's just the obvious thing. Here's the other way that we grow in our relationship with God, because I would say it this way. All relationships are built on trust. How do we get there? Trials. Trials. The way I'm going to get to know him even better is I'm going to endure through some of the difficult things in life, and I'm going to know that he had my back the whole time. And I'm going to go through it, and I might be scared, and it might be intimidating, and it might be overwhelming, but when I come and I look back, I'm like, wait a minute, he was, he was there the whole time. And look at the good that he is now bringing out of this trial, this situation, and what happens is my trust in him grows. That, that's what happens. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, it gives us this kind of thing that's happening. He says, we can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strength strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So it's through trials that we grow. It's not just that we grow in our character, but we grow in our knowledge and our understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, how he operates. We, we understand, even in the trials, just how much he loves us and how much he cares for us. I would dare say that most of us right now, if I were to say, what's the trial that helped you get to know God most? Without even you know, thinking about it, there's, there it is. Maybe it was cancer. Maybe it was a divorce. 
Maybe it was the loss of your job. Maybe it was the loss of a loved one. You, you, there was something in your life. There was a trial that happened. And in that trial, that's how God, in some special, almost miraculous way, revealed himself to you. If you were to ask me, John, what's the trial that helped you trust God like never before? I would say it was the year 1995. There's a whole stinking year of it. I affectionately call it the year from hell. Can, can you say that? Yeah. And you can tell the devil to go there too, by the way. It's all right. <laughs> 1995, our church had gone through some really difficult stuff financially. And so the, the outcome of that was, while I told our leaders, I said, I'm, I'm going to make sure that we pay our local bills. And I know it's like right now, it's like we're, we're coming down. This is how much money we have, but we have all these bills. I said, let's make sure we pay these. And if we don't get to pay me, don't worry about it. I just was convinced we, we needed to have a reputation in our community that was not like, oh, that church never pays, that, that church never takes care of its responsibility, whatever. So I was three and a half months behind in my salary for, for almost all of 1995. Now, the reason I say it was, it was a trial, I don't know if you would put yourself in that position, but here was, here's what God did. We never missed a house payment, never missed a car payment, never got pink slipped on a utility, Never missed a meal. In fact, the entire time, while just right before that, in 1991, Michelle and I made a commitment to give 20% of our income. We, we were already giving 10%. We're going to give 20%. And 1995 hits, and I had a quick conversation with God. I said, hey, God, if there was ever a time from, to go from 20 back to 10, this would be the year. But then I just thought, he's always taking care of us. So whenever I did get paid, as rare as it was that year, we still gave 20%, which makes no logical sense, except I kept seeing God come through. And so there was times like the day before a house payment was due, we would get a check in the mail from some place, some company, something, and it would completely cover that. And over and over and over, I got to see God showing up and taking care of us. So I, I trusted him, and I trusted him even more after 1995. I saw it happen. One of the stories I've told our church about before, but it was February of that year. And we had a, a single mom who had recently been separated from her husband, and then he committed suicide. So she's a single mom, and I think they had five kids under the age of seven, something like that. So like, how are they gonna make it? We were three and a half months behind in our salary, but we were still eating. We still had what we needed. And so we went and bought $40 a state of brother's script gave it to a friend to give to her. We didn't want her to know it came from us, just make sure she gets it. So they did that. It's February. We gave her $40 worth of food. This is on top of giving 20%, by the way, okay? So we're still doing what we said we would do, and we kept seeing God show up, so we just kept saying, okay, God, you got this. So we give $40 food. That's in February. Somebody that weekend put a box of food on, on our front porch at our house. I would say worth, I don't know, $40. And they did it again the next week, and the next week, and the next week, and the next week, all the way till the end of September when we got caught up. Now, if you've ever heard me tell about this story before, you know I don't want to go through 1995 again. but I'm so glad I went through it because I trust 
that God is the God who says he is, and he keeps his word. I, I know Jesus because of that year. And there's other things and other trials, but man, in the midst of the trial, if you can do this, I'm going to show you, if you can do this one thing in the midst of the trial, you are going to get to know him. And here's what I want you to get. Just take the next step of obedience. And in the midst of the trial, you don't know how it's going to turn out. In the midst of the trial, you, you don't know what's going to wind up happening here. But you are just going to say, Jesus, I'm going to walk with you. And whether it is cancer or not, and whether this person walks out of my life or not, or whether I get that promotion or not, I'm just going to continue to take the next step of obedience. And when I do that, I know Jesus is just going to continue to walk with me. Here's our vision board. Everything else compared to knowing him is worthless. But here's the beautiful thing. If we get this right, everything else now has meaning. My job? I, I, can, I, can, I can do my job to the best of my ability in a way that honors him. My marriage, my family, like you, you put that stuff on here now, now that he's in place and you got something. We get in trouble when we go back to this stuff. So let's just stay right here. And let me ask you to add one thing to here. So you got Jesus. Everything else on that other thing is mostly just temporary stuff. And you just add the people that you know who need him. Make, make that, and talk to Jesus about it on a regular basis. You know my neighbor. You know my coworker. You know my family member. And how much they need you. God, help me show them who you are. Like, partner with Jesus in bringing them the one who can truly make the difference in their life. I want to pray for you. And as we pray, I, I just want you to be thinking about your vision board. Maybe you've never done that in a physical way. Maybe it's just been the front of your refrigerator. You just kept putting stuff on the refrigerator. Someday, 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 someday. I'm going to ask you just to see all that stuff in its right place and just put Jesus as number one. Let's pray. God, may you make it clear to us right now how important it is that we really just know you and let everything else fall under that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. For those of you watching online, if you want to uh, ask any questions, you can always email us at office at community.cc or just use your app. Any of you here can use the app or prayer request decisions. Or if you want to pray with somebody right now before you get out of here, please don't feel like you've got to do life alone. Make your way up here. People will meet you up here and pray with you. I will see you next week. Have a great week. <laughs>